Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Superman and Batman, a show featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is a show where we spend a whole lot of time looking at stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Now, usually, these stories are chosen pretty much at random. However, this episode, we are kicking off a special series of episodes. Special in that for the first time since the show's inception, we won't be jumping around from Comics Era to Comics Era, looking at random issues. Instead, beginning this time, we're going to spend a series of episodes being something closer to an index show, as we look at a 10-issue miniseries published by DC Comics beginning in 1999. For those of you who really like the random format and the random nature of the show so far, don't worry, this change is only a temporary one. Once the series has concluded, we'll be back to the random nature for a look at Superman and Batman stories from throughout the years. But still, I hope you'll stick around with the show, even though we'll be narrowing our focus for just a little bit, because it'll still be Superman, and it'll still be Batman, and I think you'll enjoy it. Now, I'm going to wait and talk about why I've decided to cover this series, and why now, and in this way, next episode. And I realize it's a bit unorthodox to do that in the second episode, rather than the first, but it'll be easier to do that once this first issue does the heavy lifting and setting up the premise of the series. Plus, the book to kick things off is a double-sized issue, so I want to get right into it. The series we're going to be looking at is Batman and Superman World's Finest. And according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the first issue was released February 17th, 1999. It's got 48 pages and a cover price of $4.95, which was quite a bit when the average cover price was $1.99. And to be fair, it's still quite a bit for a comic book. But our cover is by Dave Taylor and Robert Campanella, with colors by Scarlett Smolkowski. And it shows Superman flying toward the reader as Batman looms atop a gothic cathedral in the background, while the bat signal shines on a crimson sky. And it's an absolutely beautiful cover. The coloring is, in a word, amazing. Superman and Batman on a deep red sky shouldn't work, but it does here. Batman is almost all in silhouette, so that's easy. But the really great part comes with Superman and the subtle variations and tone in the background. The shading on Superman's face and body and the way he stands out, red cape and all, from the red background, it's just gorgeous. Times like this, I really wish this was more than audio, if only so you could see this cover. But thankfully, a trip to Mike's or a quick Google search should pull it up. Uh, Smolkowski was originally to color the entire series, but that ended up not happening, and she colors only this first cover. And that's not to say that the colors inside the book are bad. I mean, I did have uh, a little bit of a quibble with it that I'll get to later on in the episode. But, you know, it, it would have been nice to see what Smolkowski could do with the interior artwork rather than just the uh, the cover. Um, and I feel like I've been talking a lot about the coloring on the cover and not so much about the pencils or the inking. Uh, the, the colors aren't the only thing the cover has going for it. 
It's just that the pencils and inks, while strong, are more of a minimalistic approach. So it really lets the colorist show off, and, and in this case, the results were fantastic. Um, I should also note that each cover in the series has a type of trade dress, where the main image takes up the majority of the cover, but it's surrounded by a, a heavy border, which is black on most issues. Uh, and that's where the title and the creator credits and the other issue information are, like the, you know, the the price and the date and and uh, that kind of and the the uh, what's it called the comics code seal, of, yeah, the comics code seal are all in that black area. Um, it might distract a little bit from the cover art itself, but it helps give more unity to the ten covers and makes them look a little more elegant, I think, than your average comic book. Turning inside, our story is 48 pages. That's right, folks. No ads, which makes that $4.95 price tag just a little bit easier to stomach. Credits are Carl Kessel, writer, Dave Taylor, penciler, Robert Campanella, inker, Alex Sinclair, colorist and separator, Bill Oakley, letterer, Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson, editors, Batman, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, Superman, created by Siegel and Schuster. And the title is Year One, Different Worlds. Ten years ago, at LexCorp in Metropolis and the Wayne Foundation in Gotham City, Superman and Batman each used their unique skill sets and methods to stop a pair of separate burglaries perpetrated by twins Lonnie and Donnie. The thugs' partners are easily taken out, and the heroes give chase, ultimately rounding up Lonnie and Donnie as well, turning them all over to the city's waiting authorities. Later, at the Daily Planet, Perry White asks Clark Kent to cover the opening of a reconstructive surgery clinic operated by Harrison Gray in New York. Lex Luthor helps finance the center, and Perry, despite his dislike of the billionaire, wants the local angle. Lois Lane tries to steal the assignment for herself, but Clark gets the assignment because he and Gray grew up together in Smallville. Meanwhile, in Gotham, Bruce Wayne gets a visit from Lieutenant James Gordon, who is delivering a report about Donnie's attempted break-in at Wayne Industries. After Gordon leaves, faithful butler Alfred Pennyworth reminds Bruce he is to attend the clinic opening, accompanied, at Gray's request, by actress Savannah Summer. That night, at the opening, Bruce and Lex talk business tactics, as Gray and Clark soon join the conversation, and the discussion turns to Superman and Batman, with each man giving his opinion, good and bad, on the new heroes. With things about to begin, Summer agrees to give up her seat to Clark and watch the show from backstage. Clark confides in Bruce that he suspects Summer and Gray are getting along a little too well, and Bruce replies that he's noticed everything, and suspects Gray arranged for him to bring Summer to the reception in order to avoid tabloid gossip that she and Gray are a couple. Gray begins his presentation comparing the works of the clinic to Superman and Batman, and then thanking the clinic's top-notch staff before leaving the gathered crowd speechless by announcing that he is retiring effective immediately. Afterward, backstage, Gray is approached by a staffer. While back out at the reception, Clark hears a gunshot before Summer runs on stage, screaming that Gray has been kidnapped and his bodyguard shot. Clark and Bruce quickly disappear, chasing down the kidnappers in an alley. However, they quickly realize they've been duped, and that the real kidnappers and the real Gray 
are gone. One of the decoys says something about the independent citizens militia, who are rumored to have recently broken murderer Eric Stang out of prison, and both heroes begin plotting how to find Grey. There's a tense moment, as Superman assumes they'll work together, but Batman says he'd rather work alone than be in charge of a team effort. Elsewhere, Grey is brought before Stang, who tells Grey he's going to give him plastic surgery to change his appearance so that he can, can continue his murderous ways, this time with the help of the ICM. But just then, Superman crashes through the ceiling, deflecting a hail of gunfire. The crooks start to run, but are stopped when Batman busts through a nearby door, greeting the thugs with his bat fists. While the heroes take out the goons, Stang grabs Grey, threatening to release a dead man's switch connected to a bomb planted in the building. But after some back and forth discussion, including the morality of murder, Stang releases a switch. However, Superman reveals he defused the bomb before arriving after having smelled fertilizer and Batman reveals he's been blocking the switch with a signal jammer. As Superman and Batman give each other the look about not trusting the other, Stang leaps out a nearby window. Batman goes after him, and Superman ignores Batman's order to help Grey, going after Stang as well. Afterward, Superman says he wanted to make sure nothing unfortunate happened to Stang at Batman's hand. But meanwhile, Grey panics and runs from the building, directly and fatally, into the path of an oncoming truck. Later, at Gray's funeral, Clark and Bruce express their condolences to Summer, who says it wasn't anyone's fault. But still, our heroes can't help but wonder if it could have been prevented had Superman and Batman worked together. End Year One. And this was a heavy issue. As near as I can tell, this seems to take place shortly after Superman and Batman's first meeting in Man of Steel number three, uh, first post-crisis meeting, I, I should say, though maybe that's obvious. But while I haven't covered that particular issue on the show yet, it might go without saying for the audience of this show that that issue set up quite a different dynamic for the world's finest heroes. But unfortunately, we didn't get many stories looking at the earliest years of that new relationship. So one thing I really liked about this issue and the premise of the series as a whole is that we do get more information about those earliest years and how that uneasy alliance was formed and how they weren't completely trustworthy of one another in the beginning and how that kind of came back to bite them in the end. And I like the way that Kessel writes this so that both men equally shoulder the blame of what happened to Gray. Superman is the first to extend the hand of teamwork which Batman slaps away. And then, when they get into the action of the story, Batman tries to, at best, coordinate, and at worst, you know, take the lead or, or just do everything himself, but it's Superman who indirectly challenges that and follows his own course. And really, Kessel does a great job throughout the issue of balancing between the two and comparing Superman and Batman, not just in how they differ in their approaches, but how they differ as people and characters. In fact, if I were to level a complaint against the issue, it might be that he spends a little too much time on that. Um, the first 12 pages of the issue, a quarter of the 48-page story, is just the opening sequence with Superman and Batman each stopping a break-in in their own city. 
And don't get me wrong, it's a great introduction with the scenes, you know, paralleling each other, beat for beat and panel for panel. And it lets us compare not only how the characters operate, but how they, but how others react to them and, and, and how criminals react to them. But at the same time, while setting up characters and how they interact and are perceived as important, this is Superman and Batman. Two characters who are going to be at least somewhat known to people reading the comic. And I wonder if some of that time might have been better used on other parts of the story. Because there's really not a lot here to make us care about Harrison Gray before he's killed. His death is a driving force for this series. So it would have been nice to feel a little bit more, you know, as a reader, it would have been nice to feel a little bit more when he when he dies. Or, rather than spending so much time with the two heroes apart, since Superman and Batman, th- their guilt about not working together is another driving part of this series, maybe some of that time could have been spent contrasting them that way, with both heroes on panel, you know, showing them, showing them, showing them together, and then that while they have the same end in mind, their means don't always align and, and aren't going to. So rather than contrasting them apart, put them together and actively show us the sparks. And we will get more of that as the issue goes on. So maybe Kessel uh, just wanted to have a, a very solid foundation of, of each character independently before launching into the the, uh, the togetherness, I guess you would say. Um, I don't know. And, and don't get me wrong, the way it's written isn't bad. I, I really did like the opening scene. It was um, well done in paralleling both characters and their situations. I just wonder if there might have been a better use for some of those 12 pages, since it is a quarter of the book. Um, we get a brief recap of both characters' origins, which wasn't necessary, but I didn't mind it. First, because it served as an interesting segue between scenes. We have the opening scene, and then we go to the Daily Planet, after which Clark calls Jonathan and Martha, and they reminisce about finding Clark in the rocket ship. Then that segues directly into Bruce's memory of seeing his parents killed, in what I really should say is a very powerful set of wordless panels. Um, I, I really want to, I haven't talked about the art yet, but I really want to commend Dave Taylor and, and even Carl Kessel. Um, for that set of panels because they were very well done in in the way they conveyed the emotion without any dialogue or narration whatsoever. Um, but two, it, it does help to further, seeing the origins, or a quick recap of the origins, does help to further drive home the fact that the differences in these two characters go all the way back to their very beginnings. Because while there's a lot of death when Krypton explodes, ultimately, post-crisis Superman, and really almost every version of Superman, is about life, where Batman was born from death, the death of the Waynes, obviously. Um, we see all the major players in both characters' lives. we got Lois, Perry, Jimmy, Alfred, Gordon. Unfortunately, the scenes at the Daily Planet and at Wayne Manor are 
pretty superfluous beyond helping to further establish a time frame for when the story is taking place, as we've still got um, Lieutenant James Gordon and Lois, who is uh, much harsher and colder toward Clark than what readers of the, uh, the monthly books at the time were used to. But at the same time, I'm glad that Kessel doesn't hang a loud bell on um, the time frame here, opting rather to, to take a uh, subtler route and, and just letting it speak for itself. Each issue of this series, and this is kind of a spoiler, I guess, um, more, more in premise than, than plot, so we're okay, uh, but each issue of the series moves forward one year in the character's history. And as we're going to see, there are some minor and at, at times more significant issues if you want to be a stickler about the continuity. Um, when, when you've got a series that moves ahead like this one, there's a careful line to tread between making it clear to the reader and just overwhelming the reader with all the 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 continuity and uh, references to certain things to establish a time frame that's only going to appeal to you know some of the readers and and, and isn't really going to benefit the story at all. I myself am kind of a continuity nerd, especially in this era. I like the continuity and I like the references, but at the same time, I realize that not everyone needs that in a in a uh, in a story to to get something out of it. And I'm not saying I need it either, but I, I I it's part of what I get the enjoyment out of in a story when I can kind of place it in a specific uh, place. Place it in a specific place. That's a lot of places, isn't it? If I can place it in a specific time or uh, set of circumstances for the characters. Um, but on that note, for the other continuity junkies out there, as I said, this seems to be set shortly after Man of Steel number three and seems to be the second meeting of Superman and Batman. For Batman's part, that would put it taking place during the second half of year one, which ran from Batman number 404 to 407, and most likely between issue 406 and 407, depending on where you want to place Man of Steel. Um, it's always a little bit subjective and up for debate, I suppose, but I, I think the best place for it would be between the, uh, between those two issues. Um, this also is chronologically the earliest meeting of Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, and would remain so until they started fiddling around with continuity around 2003, um, unless you want to count uh, Superman the Odyssey, where the characters very briefly and literally cross paths, though that was actually published after this first issue. Um, it actually came out uh, as the series was, was being published because in a later issue we're going to see a, uh, an advertisement for it. Um, but as this takes place so early in the timeline, obviously Clark and Bruce don't know each other's secret identities, even though there's no um, reference to that in this issue and, and really didn't need to be because it, it wouldn't have added anything to the story. Um, this issue also is the earliest on-panel meeting between Clark and Lex, though they oddly seem to know each other. So it's possible that they uh, met before this and were never, and we, we the readers, never saw it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Lex obviously was a big Metropolis, uh, was a big wig in Metropolis. Clark made his name known uh, 
very quickly upon coming on the Daily Planet, you know, landing the story about Superman. So they they would have at least heard of one another, even if they hadn't met face to face. And likewise, this is the earliest on-panel meeting between Bruce and Lex. Though because we join their conversation in the middle, it's hard to tell if this is the first time they've met or not. I like to think that, you know, Bruce and Lex were at the very least aware of one another very early in their respective, uh, or, or I guess very early in Bruce's uh, business career, because in this continuity, Lex is, you know, quite a bit older than Clark or Bruce. But, you know, Lex was a businessman for many, many years. Bruce was a big shot in the business world. So, like with uh, Clark and Lex, I think they would have at least been aware of one another, even if they hadn't met face-to-face. But I know what you're saying, but Michael, this is a continuity error. Lex and Bruce first met during the Dark Knight over Metropolis saga, which was set long, long after this. And that would be true according to dialogue in Adventures of Superman number 467, where it said that that's the first time they met. But that in and of itself is a continuity error, since the two had met in an issue of Booster Gold, published three years earlier. So my no-prize conclusion is that both Lex and Bruce are just really bad about remembering when they met one another. Um, I kind of enjoy trying to place these things in a timeline. I'm going to try and do it as we go through the series, but I will try to not be too tedious and too nerdy about it. It's fun, but at the same time, Lex's appearance in the issue shows what an ultimately futile effort it is, given the liquid nature of continuity. Um, Even disregarding the Lex and Bruce stuff, Lex is still here, but dialogue in Man of Steel number 4 indicates that Lex would have been out of the country at this point, which means he wouldn't have been able to meet Clark or Bruce. Unless you want to place this after Man of Steel number 4, which would further explain Lex's presence and his reaction to Superman, but then that plays havoc with the timeline of Batman's books, and there's a line of dialogue in Man of Steel number 4 that precisely puts that just shy of 18 months after Superman's debut, where his first meeting with Batman in issue number 3 takes place 8 months after Superman's debut. And I know I'm being super nerdy about this, but, you know, Lex aside, it it would have to take place between 3 and 4 of Man of Steel, issues 3 and 4 of Man of Steel, or it's just getting far too late in the timeline for both characters, I think. Um, and maybe there's a window in there where Lex could have returned to the U.S. or something just to be at the, you know, surgical clinic. You know, if we wanted to no-prize it, I think that's probably the most uh, likely explanation. And we could pour over the text and, and, you know, maybe try to find another explanation if we really wanted to. But still, a slight hiccup like this has no significant effect on the story for me. Um like I said, I, I like continuity and I like being able to kind of put things in an order and, and look at the character's life as a whole. Um, but I realize that the nature of comics means you have to be flexible over a decade and a half of storytelling from different creators, different writers, different artists, different editors, different you know lines of books and, and people with different objectives. And as long as they hit the medium in broad strokes – I'm okay if there are minor bumps here and there because with with this many 
cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, you're not going to have an absolutely perfect continuity. Um, there are a couple parts of the story that I wanted to elaborate on a bit more than I did in the synopsis, just because I, I kind of found them to be uh, interesting. When all the characters come together at the reception, we've got Clark, Bruce, Luthor, Gray, and Summer in the conversation that eventually turns to Superman and Batman, who, remember, this is, this is very early in their career, so they're both pretty new heroes at this point. And we get a little back and forth from everyone, including Clark and Bruce, and the conversation starts to get a little bit heated um, about the, the roles they serve and, and whether these heroes are um, good for the cities that they serve. But Gray, calms in to, or Gray cuts in to calm things down by saying, Gentlemen, please, I think we all agree Superman is a shining example of what we can strive to be while Batman is a warning of what waits for us if we stray into the shadows. And at first, I was nodding my head in agreement, but a split second later, it hit me how simplistic of a view that is of the characters. And it kind of bugs me that far too many times, that's how the characters are distilled. Yes, Superman is about hope and optimism. But he's also about truth and justice, which sometimes is going to require being that heavy hand. He started out, you know, the very first issue, Action Comics number one, described him as the champion of the oppressed. And despite all the continuity changes from 1938 to today, I, I think in some sense Superman could still be described as a champion of the oppressed in all his incarnations. Um, but sometimes doing that requires him to bust a few heads, literally in his case, and, and more, you know, figurative, figuratively in real life, I would hope. But, you know, being, uh, being about truth and justice and being a champion of the oppressed isn't about just standing on the street corner with your hands on your hips and smiling, you know. You, you've got to be um, proactive and uh, going after uh, those that have done wrong. But conversely, Batman, yes, he kneeled by his bedside as a child and made that vow. I swear by the spirits of my parents to avenge their deaths by spending my, the rest of my life warring on all criminals. Which is dark and a stark warning of what waits for us in the shadows. But at the same time, Batman too is a symbol of what we should strive for. He went through a very traumatic experience as a child and rose above that and he used it to push himself forward and become more than the spoiled billionaire that he probably would have ended up as. And I know what Kessel was getting at and, and what he was trying to do. Throughout the issue and really the series as a whole going forward, he's trying to showcase the differences between the two characters and, and how they how they are very different and how they operate very differently. But in, in broader terms, speaking about more than just this particular issue, I think far too often writers kind of get stuck on these simplistic base descriptions of the characters when there's just a lot more to both Superman and Batman than that. 
But if you will excuse me for a minute, I have to step off my soapbox now because we get another interesting moment later on during the standoff with Stang. Um, Stang is, of course, a serial killer, and he tries to excuse his murderous ways by painting himself as a self-appointed vigilante who works when the system fails because he only kills you know, rapists and child molesters. He tells Superman and Batman that he's not going back to prison, and he says, but I'm sure we can come to some sort of arrangement. We are, after all, kindred spirits, alluding to the fact that Superman and Batman, you know, are, are also vigilantes. And Superman's reply to this, his expression, he's both taken aback and really angered and disgusted. And he says, is that a joke? And I'm a terrible actor, but you get the point. And then Batman points his finger at Stang and says, You kill people, Stang. But then we get kind of a weird bit as Stang talks more, uh, basically revealing that as a child, he was molested by the town sheriff, who ended up being his first victim. And he says, No one believes that such a horrible thing could happen to a young boy, that such a small town could have such a big secret. And Batman's reply is to point out that horrible things happen to children everywhere, which makes a lot of sense given his own past. But Superman's reply is, every small town has its secret, which, if that's meant to be an allusion to Clark and his abilities being a secret in Smallville, it seems really odd to compare that to a secret about a sheriff molesting children, because the situations are just completely different. I mean, you know, you say apples and oranges, but this is more like apples and truck engines or something. It, they're just, there's absolutely no comparison there. Uh, but then the conversation goes on talking about how Superman and Batman enforce the laws, not ignore them, and even though they take the law into their own hands, they don't make the law their own. You know, just all the standard stuff with this kind of back and forth, and it just shows how delusional Stang really is. But even though I, I kind of had a little little quibble about Clark's comment, in an issue that does a lot to compare and contrast between Superman and Batman, it was nice to see this as well, uh, to show that even though the two heroes have their differences, they have their similarities as well, because there's a third side to that coin, and it's really not a pretty one. And I think that's important to show, um, Batman and Superman might have their differences in their approaches or philosophies. You know, similar to what I said earlier, their means might be different, but in the end, they have the same goal. And I think that's really important to show uh, with these characters when you are comparing them. Um, the art in the issue is, you know, it's 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 decent. Dave Taylor was a Batman artist. Um, he had a little more than a year on Batman Shadow of the Bat a few years prior to this, so his Batman, you know, in this issue anyway, is uh, uh, pretty standard. You know, he, he keeps the character in a lot of shadows and menacing glares, unfortunately, and, you know, that's that's not all bad because he makes it look good, but in future issues, I do hope we see a little bit more detail with the character. Um his Superman is more along the lines of the Christopher Reeve mold with a slender, athletic build rather than the bulked-up bodybuilder. Um, 
no real complaints from me for what it is, but we'll see if he gets more comfortable with the character in future issues because really at times, uh, really throughout the entire issue, it just feels like he's not quite comfortable with drawing the character yet. Um, if, if I were to level one complaint about the art, and I'm using complaint in air quotes because it's really more of a personal preference issue, but if I were to, to, to say one thing along those lines, it would be that I'm not a huge fan of Taylor's faces. Sometimes they just get a little too expressive and a little too cartoony, but again, that's mostly a personal preference in what I like to see in this kind of art. Um, if, if someone else likes the more cartoony stuff, then it's going to be right up your alley. The bright side is Clark and Bruce look very different, both in their facial structure, their body posture, and their mannerisms, which, you know, I've mentioned this in several episodes, that's very, very important when you're dealing with books featuring uh, both characters like this. Another thing I noticed is that the cities and the backgrounds are very uh, gritty and textured and realistic, for whatever that means in a comic book. Both Metropolis and Gotham look like lived-in cities. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of difference in how the two cities are depicted, which I would have liked to have seen since, you know, Metropolis and Gotham are, are, are very different cities. But that's not a huge issue, and, and maybe we'll see more differences as the series goes on and we explore more of these characters' individual universes. Uh, most of this issue takes place in New York, which was a really nice touch, setting it in neutral territory, so to speak, because had the whole thing been set in Metropolis or in Gotham, it would have, I think, slanted the story more towards one character or the other, but you know, placing it in New York really helped to, like I said, it, it, it gave the characters a neutral territory uh, for their basic first screw-up, I guess you would say. Um, but anyway, getting back to the cities, even if we don't see more to distinguish the cities in future issues, that's not a big deal because, after all, the story is about Superman and Batman and not the cities that they inhabit. Really, the only major issue with the art was with the coloring. And, like I said earlier, the coloring is fine. I don't have a problem with the technique or the style. Um, I think Alex Sinclair is a really great colorist. And we're going to see... Um, really, I think the coloring is, is really excellent in this issue. With the exception of the fact that Lex's hair is colored gray rather than red. The style is the same as what we saw when we get our first good look at him in Man of Steel number 4, but the color is wrong, which is a pretty big gaffe in my eyes, and, and honestly, it makes the character look like a completely different character, uh, which is too bad. But, you know, they, they identify him from the very beginning as being Luthor, so you know who it is, but at the same time, Lex was a redhead. He didn't have gray hair. So, there's that. Uh, but overall, you know, even though I had a lot of smaller quibbles, this was a good issue. Not only was it a really strong kickoff to the series, but even on its own, it was a nice comparison of Superman and Batman and a look at what separates them and what distinguishes them from one another 
and even a little bit about how they are the same in some respects. Um, even though I've read the entire series a few times before, and I know that not every issue going forward is going to be as strong, as is kind of going to be the case with any series that's 10 issues, I'm looking forward to covering the rest of this, and I hope that you are looking forward to being along for the ride. Right now, though, it's time for a break. So here are a couple promos, and I will be right back. It's targeted as an idea, a flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman and the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa. And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics presents. You know, after Dave's done, and I mean, you're not covering every, every issue, so he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this <laughs> Well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents Show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents, in publishing order, until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals. Plus, I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and I'll be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me, each episode, of the DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's D-C-C-P-S-H-O-W. Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. And as promised, I'm back. But then, you never really doubted that, did you? I didn't think so. This issue, along with the other nine issues of the series were reprinted in a 2003 trade paperback that has the same cover as this first issue. I've also seen images of a second cover online, but I haven't ever seen a physical copy of that. 
So I don't know if there was a second printing or a, a new edition or if that just it's just a, a, a non-cover that's gotten spread around as sometimes happens online. Uh, but as I said earlier, there are no ads in the book. So we're going to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And this book came out in 1999. So we've got a much different selection on the stands than we're accustomed to looking at. And a much larger one. Uh, we're not going to talk about everything because there are just way too many books for that. But as always, we will hit the highlights. At this time, both the Superman titles and the Batman titles were involved with larger, overarching storylines. The Bat books were in the early stages of No Man's Land, while the Superman titles were nearing the end of the King of the World arc. Um, in fact, the Superman titles were getting close to the end of an era, because before the conclusion of this series, uh, the titles will get all new creative teams and a new editor. But as for individual titles uh, that, that aren't in the Superman or Batman family, the first thing I see is a brand new title, Planetary Number 1 by Warren Ellis and John Cassidy. And that's a series that would finally conclude 27 issues and 10 years later. Uh, next up is Superman Adventures Number 30, which is the first of a two-part story where Superman returns from a trip to space to find Jonathan and Martha Kent dead and a group of Kryptonians, including Jor-El and Laura, on Earth. So just what the heck is going on? Well, you'll have to read and find out. The story was part of Mark Miller's run on the title, and despite what you might think of Miller today, he had a knockout run on this title. While uh, this particular issue is the first of a two-parter, most of the issues throughout the entire series' run, was they were done in ones, and they contained some really fun and enjoyable Superman stories that can be enjoyed by young readers and adults alike, um, much like Superman the Animated Series, as this was a, uh, a tie-in or a spin-off comic from that. But Miller's entire run is highly recommended by me and should be easily found in back issue bins or in reprint form. Uh, next up is Batman in the 60s trade paperback, which collects more than a dozen of Batman's greatest stories from that era. Green Lantern number 111 is a girl fight as Jade takes on Fatality in an issue that Sean Engel covered over on Just One of the Guys, so be sure to check that out. And then we get into a trio of books that are Impulse number 47, Nightwing number 30, and Titans number 2, all which feature guest appearances by Superman. And a little farther down the list, we have Robin number 63, which also has Superman as a guest. I'm not sure why he was making so many appearances, but seeing Superman team up with other heroes is never a bad thing. Even if it's not Batman. Not to get off topic here, but if you want to hear more about Superman team-ups, go listen to Russell Bragg's DC Comics Presents show. As of when I recorded this, he has recorded eight or released eight episodes, and he is doing an issue-by-issue -issue coverage of DC Comics Presents from the Bronze Age. So each episode, you get great team-ups of Superman and the Flash, and you get Superman and Adam Strange, and 
Superman and the Metal Man, and Superman and Red Tornado, Superman and Superman. It, it's just a really DC Comics Presents is one of those really fun series from the Bronze Age, and I'm glad that Russell has taken up the mantle of covering that uh, because it, it's a series that really deserves more attention than I think it really gets. Uh, but speaking of team ups, he's back with Batman in Superman and Batman Generations number four which is the final issue of that series. And that's a series that I really enjoyed. And I, I've thought about covering that on this show at some point. So if that's something you would like to hear, be sure to write in and let me know. Uh, next up is Fanboy number 2, which is a really, really fun series by Mark Evanier and a bunch of great artists from all ages of comics. It's about an Ultra Comics fan that dreams about meeting his favorite heroes and you know that that might sound like a uh a silly idea for a comic book story but it's something that's got a lot of heart and i think a lot of longtime comic book fans would would enjoy it even as they maybe identify with it a, a, a tiny bit and we've also got superboy number 61 which is part two of the hypertension story And this is an issue that vexed me for a very long time. Um, Even though I wasn't reading Superboy at this time, I decided to pick up this particular arc because I like the, the jumping universes and the alternate versions of characters. I got the first issue, which was issue 60, and then I got the third and the fourth parts of the story. But this particular part eluded me for years. In fact, I, I think... It wasn't until I was able to uh, pick up the entire series and and sit down and do a straight read-through that I actually read that particular chapter. Uh, But then we've got Danger Girl number 5, which is significant because it's the first issue of the title after after Wildstorm moved from Image to DC. Uh, Not much for me to say about it other than that. I've, I've never really got into Danger Girl, but there you go. We've also got JLA number 28, where Grant Morrison brings together the JLA and the JSA for a really uh, exciting team-up. And the last thing I see is, appropriately enough for this show, World's Finest Archives Volume 1, which collects 16 of the earliest Superman and Batman team-ups, four of which have been covered on this very show. But that's it. I want to thank you all very much for joining me, and I hope you'll come back next time and in future episodes as well, obviously, as we explore the rest of this particular series. Uh, Next time, it'll be issue number two, as Superman and Batman spend some time in each other's shoes, or cities, as it were. If you have comments or questions or thoughts on the story, as always, I encourage you to write in, michael at greatcrypton.com, or you can leave a post at the website. Uh, You can also contact me through Facebook and Twitter, and all that information is in the end tags. Uh, But that's it for me, though. Thank you again very much for indulging me and for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Streets of cobblestone. Neath 
Thanks for listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. And the people bow and pray to the neon god they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was for me. And the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls. The tenement halls whispered Silence. The closing song for this episode was The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel from their 1966 album Sounds of Silence. If you like this or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting twotruefreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to amazon.com. Buy an mp3 or physical copy of the song, and Two True Freaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you get classic music for your library, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting. And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra.